you all on a morning when everybody seems to be on holiday, literally everybody's away. It's great to have some visitors, good to see some friends of uh, Olin Fallers, and uh, great to have the Fielder family from Yorkshire Camps. Uh, they do have another identity other than Yorkshire Camps, but you'll know them from Yorkshire Camps, and great to see everybody here this morning who's with us as a visitor. Now, I love watching rugby, and I'm really looking forward to the new season, which starts in September, so that I can go and watch the Newcastle Falcons. There's the Falcons in action. Sadly, most of those players have been sold, but anyway. <laughs> there's actually a few of us from region that have season tickets. Uh, Paul and Davey Woff, Daniel Monk, and myself. And every season, we get really, really excited, thinking maybe this season is the season it'll all come good, and we'll have something to celebrate and to shout about. And then after a few games, we quickly realize that this season is going to be the same as last season, and the season before that, and the season before that. Now, I've been going for about 15 years, Daniel for even longer, and it's pretty much every season the same thing, isn't it, Daniel? And sadly, once again, there's going to be precious little to celebrate or shout about. Even as an England fan, normally there's some good things from England. That isn't happening either. Last two Saturdays proved that, the state of English rugby. And the Rugby World Cup starts in just a few weeks. England are looking pretty ropey, I think unlikely to do very well at all. But if you ever fancy coming to a Falcons game, if you want to do that, then uh, Daniel, Paul, and I will be delighted to welcome you to the South Stand. And you can come and stand with us and enjoy the atmosphere of watching the Falcons get beat. But I have to warn you that sometimes we do get a little bit excited when we watch rugby. And we have even been known to shout a little bit occasionally. And sometimes we even shout at the referee. But that's okay, because in rugby it's okay, as long as you call the referee sir, you can pretty much say what you want to him. And we've been known to sometimes question things about the referee and say things about him, but as long as you've put sir in, it, it's all good. And when the Falcons score a try, which again doesn't happen very often, we sometimes get very, very excited, and we're, we're jumping up and down, and we're shouting, and we've even been known, Daniel might deny this, but to hug each other a little bit on occasions... <laughs> The others might deny that, but sometimes we get so excited, we, we even do that. Rugby, and specifically the Falcons in England, is, is one of the few things that I get really externally excited about and, and shout and celebrate at. I wonder what you get excited about. What is it that you get excited about in your life? What is it that you celebrate in your life? What do you kind of express yourself about? For lots of people living in Newcastle, that's probably football. Fantastic result yesterday, opening game of the season, great result. And there's certainly been much more to celebrate in the last year or so, hasn't there? Even if perhaps the source of that celebration is questionable. But anyway, that's another, that's another issue altogether. But I wonder if you've ever been excited about God, excited about the gospel, excited about coming to church. Not a lot of excitement looking around the room this morning. Um, have you... Whoa. Oh, no, fantastic. Esther, ah, brilliant. Have you ever shouted in joy to God? Have you ever sung about God and about the gospel and about Jesus in the same way that you do about football or, or rugby, perhaps, or something else that you get excited about? And, and if not, which is probably the answer most of you would probably give me, if you're honest, then why not? Why is it that we're, we're comfortable to sing and shout and maybe even jump up and down at a sporting event or maybe a, a concert, but not in church when we're worshiping God? 
Because the Bible actually instructs us repeatedly, particularly in the, in the Psalms, to, to sing and to shout and to dance and to celebrate God, to celebrate all that He is and to celebrate all that He's done for us. And yet, we don't do that, do we? Now, I know that we're British. I know that most of us grew up in the UK and we're all a little bit kind of reserved. And I, I get all that. I know all that. And we don't really express ourselves like, especially in church. And yet, we often do when we go to sporting events and other events. It's funny, isn't it? We don't in church when we've got something really good to celebrate, God and the gospel, and yet we do at things which are maybe not that great to celebrate in reality. Psalm 66, which we're looking at today in our, in our series in the summer, looking through the Psalms, begins with the instruction to shout with joy to God. Not, you know, if you feel like it, if you're feeling up to it, you might want to, you know, sing a bit louder. It says, shout to God with joy. Express yourself. Shout to God in joy, with joy in celebration of who God is and all that He has done for us. Now, don't panic. I'm not going to get everybody up dancing and shouting, don't panic. But it's certainly something for us to think about, isn't it? It's easy to hide behind the culture thing, I get that. But it's certainly for us, something for us to think about. The writer of this psalm, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us to shout for joy as we focus on God and as we focus on all that He's done for us. It's all about the author reminding himself and reminding those that would sing at Jerusalem in the temple and reminding us today, 3,000 years later, why He and why they and why we exist, which is all about bringing God glory. That's the number one reason we're here on planet Earth, is to, to point back to God and to give Him glory. And then reminding himself and ourselves of a whole variety of reasons of why God is worthy of glory and worship. Come and see God's works, he says, and see what God has done. So let me read the psalm to you. We're going to read Psalm 66. If you've got a Bible handy, I encourage you to take that up and, and turn to it. Or you can just listen uh, if, if you're more comfortable doing that. That's fine. So Psalm 66, I'm going to read the whole psalm. And here's what it says. It's, the, the, the heading is for the director of music. That would have been the, the guy in the temple. Uh, a song, a psalm. Shout with joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Come and see what God has done. How awesome His works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in Him. He rules forever by His power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against Him. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. He's preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you, and an offering of rams I will offer bulls and goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. And we don't know who the author of this psalm was, and we can only guess at the context 
in which he was writing it. But he writes it for the director of music, which would have been at the temple there in Jerusalem, which was right at the heart of the national heart of Israel. And I, I get the feeling that this guy, or lady maybe, has been on something of a personal journey with God. And they've got some experiences that they want to share with the people that are going to read this psalm and sing it. And he wants to share the lessons that he's learned so that others can be helped as they sing the words that he's written. And as we look at it this morning, it's my prayer that it will be one of those passages that we might turn back to as individuals and, and, and as a church. And as we read it, I hope you'll be motivated to really praise God, to really express yourself in worship and praise to God. And maybe, maybe even do a bit of shouting and singing. And who knows, maybe even some dancing. Who knows? Verses 1 to 4 says this, Shout with joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. It's really important to remember that God isn't just a hobby. It's not ju- he isn't just a kind of sporting thing that we like going to. He's so much more than a game of rugby or a football or a concert or or something that we might enjoy at the weekend. He's not just something or someone that we've got a little bit of an interest in or or he shouldn't be. Somebody that we might want to think about from time to time, maybe just on Sunday morning or a few minutes during the day, or at least he shouldn't be. He's God. There is no other. There's nobody greater, higher than God. It's impossible to think of anybody greater or stronger or, 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 or greater or better than God. The whole universe exists to bring God glory. The reason you and I are here on planet Earth, according to the Bible, is to bring God glory. And the writer of this psalm reminds those singing it and reading it of some of the amazing things that God has done in the history of Israel. He says this, Come and see what God has done, His awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in Him. And he's referring here to when God rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then he parted the waters of the Red Sea, and two and a half million Israelites passed through on dry land, which was one of the most phenomenal miracles in world history, if you think about it. And then he's referring to the the crossing of the Jordan River 40 years later, as the people of Israel went went into the promised land from the, the desert wanderings of 40 years. And these were massive and miraculous events that God had performed for his people in rescuing them from slavery and then leading them into what the Bible calls the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And that's the God that we've gathered to worship today, isn't it? That's the God that we're meant to be getting excited about. It's not a lot of excitement looking around the room, but that's who we're meant to be excited and, 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 and praising and worshiping this morning. Now, it might be that you find it a little bit difficult to identify with or, or connect with what God did for the people of Israel 3,400 years ago. And, and that's understandable. That's a, there's a big kind of disconnect, a big gap uh, between what happened then and what happens for us today. But hopefully what you can do is connect with God for what He has done in your life and in the life of this church. We've got some amazing things, haven't we, to celebrate as a church in the last few years. So many new people uh, coming to faith in Christ, so many baptisms, so many new people joining the church. The Lord has provided so much finance. We're almost there for the building extension. We just need another £85,000 or so from a a kind of target of 500000 God has been doing some amazing things, which we should celebrate. We should remember these things. And I'm sure that if we look in our own lives, there's all kinds of stuff, big and small, that we can celebrate the goodness of God. 
The escape from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea and the River Jordan were, were real historical events, physical events in the Bible, but they also are used in the Bible as pictures of something even bigger, something even greater. And in fact, the whole of the Old Testament is kind of like that, real historical events, but also have a double meaning, a kind of forward-looking to something even bigger and greater, and to all that Jesus is and has done. And they're pictures of what God has done in rescuing people from the slavery of sin through Jesus himself. And they're pictures of what God has done by bringing us out of slavery, the slavery to sin that we have and that we experience outside of a relationship with Jesus and into the promised land of a relationship with God now and the eternal experience that we will have with God one day in heaven. And so just as the writer of this psalm could look back on his nation's history and say, come, let us rejoice in him. So we can look back, can't we, on what God has done in our lives, firstly, in rescuing us and saving us from sin and giving us a new life in Jesus, if, if of course, we have put our faith and trust in Him. And we can, we can rejoice in the wonderful relationship that we now have with God, that we get to be able to call the God who is above all and, and beyond all and, and created everything and, and, and is all-powerful, we get to call Him Father, that we, in, we live in this wonderful, amazing relationship. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. Come, let us rejoice in Him, the writer of this psalm says. There are times in life, though, when we sometimes struggle to praise and worship God as we should do, and we struggle to get excited about our faith. And that's natural, that's normal, that's just the kind of ups and downs of everyday life. And sometimes our daily walk with God can be difficult, really difficult, and we can sometimes really struggle to motivate ourselves to pray and even to read the Bible, and maybe even to come to church. Maybe you think, I just, I just can't be bothered. It's just difficult. It's just hard going, and I'm just not feeling it this morning. I'm just not feeling it at the moment. If you're struggling at the moment to motivate yourself to pray, to read the Bible, to come to church, whatever that looks like, can I encourage you to remember what God has done in history and, more specifically, what He's done in your life? Ever you need something to motivate you, to recharge you, to refocus, think back to what God has done in your life, to the cross, to God calling you into a relationship with Himself, to the forgiveness that you've experienced, to the relationship that you now have with God. And that should set your heart on fire. That should set you once again with an excitement. It doesn't mean that the problems that you're facing and the difficulties that you're going through won't disappear. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean they're just going to disappear. But what it does mean is that in the midst of those problems, we can focus on Jesus and put these things into perspective and celebrate all that God has done in our lives. I don't know what your life is like at the moment. I don't know what is going on in your life. And, you know, there's maybe 60, 70 of us here this morning, and there'll be all sorts of different situations in different people's lives. The reality is that sooner or later, we will all go through difficult issues, difficult times in our lives. It might be our health, it might be problems at work or at school or uni, it could be relationship issues, it might be financial hardship, financial worries. God doesn't promise us health, wealth, and prosperity. Nowhere in the Bible does that, is that promised to us. And in fact, actually, quite the opposite. We are actually promised lots of difficulties and problems if we trust in Jesus and if we follow Him in this life. It's not clear when the, or what the events that the, the writer of this psalm is referring to. Maybe it's the time in Egypt and the Exodus. Maybe it's something more recent. We, we just don't know. But this is what he says. He, that's God, has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. 
For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. Whatever it is he's referring to, he believes that God has been in control and stays in control, and it's God that has led him and the people of Israel through those difficult times. And he uses some really strong language here, doesn't he? It's obviously been awful. Whatever it actually was that they were going through, the the language, the words he used, make it clear that it was a pretty tough time. He uses the word prison and burdens and fire and, and, and water. It's obviously a horrible time. Whether it was Egypt he's referring to, whether it's a captivity that the people of Israel are going through, we don't know. But he believes that as horrible as the experience has been for them, that God has still been at work, God is still in control, and God has been working for their good through those difficulties. And as such, he is worthy of praise and worship. The Bible teaches us over and over again that God leads us through difficult times for our benefit. Now, this is something we really struggle with because the whole of our Western culture is all about me. It's all about pleasure. It's all about us you know, experiencing all the good things that we want. And the reality is that life often isn't like that. And we struggle with the idea that God might lead us into difficulties and difficult times, and yet the Bible does teach that. And He does that for our good, because He's changing us, He's seeking to refine us and enable us to become more like Jesus. He allows the hard times to be kind of like a chisel, you know, kind of sort of removing all the, the, the excess bits of wood if you see a, you know, a carpenter just with a chisel, just chipping off those little excess bits, those sharp corners. And that's exactly what God does with us through the difficult times, the hard times in life. He is removing those sharp edges, or He's giving us, at the very least, opportunities to change and to become more like Jesus. We don't always take those opportunities, but that's what they're there for. He allows the hard times to be like a fire burning the dross and purifying us, just like a metal worker would do as he refines silver. And when we go through tough times, those tough times will will reveal the genuineness or otherwise of our faith. And that's surely a good thing, isn't it? We don't want to think we're a Christian. We don't want to think we're following Jesus when in reality we've never truly trusted in Him. We want to know if that's the case, don't we? So it's good to have hard times and tough times because then it reveals, well, am I genuinely a a follower of Jesus? Because it would be tragic if we thought we were and we weren't. Peter says this in the New Testament, For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Trials, tough times in life, are horrible. They're never pleasant. But trials, according to Peter here and this psalm, are ultimately a good thing because they help us to see whether we're really in a relationship with God. And they also then help us to become more like Jesus, should we choose to, to, to respond to that in a godly way. And for these reasons, trials can help us, and they're a reason for us to worship God. Now, we're never going to feel like that when we're in the middle of the trial. That's not how we're feeling. But hopefully, with, with hindsight, we can stand back with a biblical worldview and, and biblical kind of lenses and see that God has been at work, that God is shaping us and molding us and enabling us to become more like Jesus. If you're going through a trial in your life at the moment, 
what is God trying to teach you? If you're going through a trial in your life at the moment, what is God trying to teach you? What is He trying to say to you? What is He revealing about your relationship with God? Verse 12 of Psalm 66 says this, But you brought us to a place of abundance. On the other side of the trials of life, of this life, is a place of abundance if we've genuinely trusted in Jesus. Sometimes we experience that abundance in this life, and sometimes God is, is, uh, you know, blesses us with, with, with health and wealth and prosperity. Sometimes He does that, but not always. But what we have got is the certain experience of it in eternity. It's what Peter refers to as the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So we may be really doubly blessed and have great times in this life. We're not promised those, but what we are promised is this end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And when we stop and remind ourselves that God is at work, even in the trials of our life for our good, then we can be spurred on to live for God and to worship Him. And it's when we stop and remind ourselves of the place of abundance that God has already brought us into by saving us and forgiving us and bringing us into a relationship with God through Himself, through, through Jesus, but that He's also going to bring us into when we finally go to be with Him, whether Jesus comes first or whether we die and go to be with Him, that we're going to be in that place of abundance for all eternity. When we think of that, we don't really know too much about what eternity looks like. The Bible just gives us a, a few kind of hints, but what we do know is that we'll be with Jesus forever, and that has to be amazing, doesn't it? That has to be phenomenal, difficult for us to really imagine or get our heads around, but it's going to be awesome. And that, says Peter, should fill us with an inexpressible and a glorious joy, and maybe even a a glorious joy that we might want to express by being a little bit more demonstrative in our worship. And so the writer of the psalm, having reminded himself of who God is and how awesome God is, how amazing His miracles have been in the life of Israel, is moved again to to want to worship God just all over again. And he's moved to respond on a really deeply personal level as well. He says this, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you. And an offering of rams I will offer bulls and goats. In the context of Jewish worship, which involved taking sacrifices to the temple there in Jerusalem, this was the writer saying, I'm going to worship you with the very best that I've got. I'm not going to bring a scrawny animal from my flock, you know, the kind of dregs that I've got. I'm going to bring the fattest animal, the choicest bullock, the fattest lamb. I'm going to give you the very best. I'm going to offer my life to you in worship. I wonder what your worship life looks like. In fact, the Bible teaches us that all of our life is an act of worship. It's not just what we do in, a, in two or three songs on a Sunday morning. Yeah, we should be worshiping them. But actually, biblically, our whole life is an act of worship. How we drive, how we speak to people, how we work. All of these things are acts of worship, or they can be, and they should be. So what does your worship life look like? Look, look like? Do you bring your best to God when you worship Him? Do you bring your best to God? Do you bring the fat? choice animal of the flock, as it were? Do you bring your best? And when you serve God, because serving God is also an act of worship, and that might be in doing the tea and coffee on a Sunday, or cleaning the building during the week, or teaching in Sunday school, playing in the band, or helping in the youth work, and all sorts of other stuff that goes on throughout the week here normally. When you serve God, do you give Him your best? 
Or does he get the, the kind of scraps and dregs? Does it, is it the last minute stuff? Is it, is it eagerly or do you resent it and complain, oh, I've got to do that again? Or do you come, yeah, what a fantastic opportunity this morning. I get to go and serve Jesus. And I want to worship him by serving him, by making tea and coffee, or by cleaning the building, or by teaching the kids, or playing in the band. Or do we moan and do we complain? Do we resent it? When we serve God, do we give him our best? Paul writes, doesn't he, in Romans 12.1, he says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, when Paul looks back on the previous 11 chapters of Romans, he says, look, in view of all that God has done for us, let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not kind of holding it back, not the bare minimum, not the dregs, not resentful, not moaning, but with hearts full of worship and praise for all that God is and all that He's done. In addition to looking back on what God had historically done for Israel, the writer of this psalm also adds this deeply personal note. He says this, Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what He's done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. Now, we don't exactly know what this man's personal experience was, but he's clearly been deeply blessed by God on a personal level, and he wanted to share it. Telling others what God has done for us, whether that's in saving us from our sin, uh, in, in first coming to faith in Christ, or perhaps in a more specific answer to prayer, can be a huge blessing to other people. It encourages them. But it's also a blessing to ourselves because it kind of calls to mind what God has been doing. And that's something that we want to do more of here at Region, especially in the morning service on a Sunday. So if you experience a real blessing from God and He does something really significant in your life, then come and let me know, or, or Paul or Keith, and if we can, we'll get you up on a Sunday and we'll get you to share that story. Just encourage yourself, but also encourage the rest of our church family. And if you're in a home group, and if you're not, why not? But if you're, if you're in a home group, then why don't you share that with your home group on, the, on, on, your, on your group chat or whatever, if you've got one. Share the good things that God has been doing. I had an answer to prayer this week. I was able to share the gospel with someone at work this week. This, was, this has happened. God's done that and so on. That can be such a real blessing and an encouragement for each other, for the rest of our church family. He goes on to say, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. The writer looks back on deeply personal experiences that he's had with God and he's blessed and he's encouraged by remembering in the past what God has done for him. And he looks back on what God has done and for the whole nation historically, the whole nation of Israel, right back to Egypt sometime in the past. And it encourages him and it helps him in the present. So easy, I don't know about you, but I find it so difficult. So, so quickly we just become kind of drained and we, we, we just focus on the, the problems that are ahead of us right now. And we forget all that God has done. Look at what he's done in the past. Can I encourage you this morning, can I encourage all of us to look back in history and see what God has done? Look back to the Exodus, look back to the birth of Jesus, look back to the miracles of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, to the cross, to the resurrection. That's why it's so important that we regularly remember Jesus with bread and wine, which we do pretty much every week here as a church. And look back to those moments in your life when you've really experience God at work in your life, maybe on a deeply personal level, maybe this week, maybe last year, maybe many years ago, 
and allow those historic acts of God to stir you and to move you once more, to allow them to reignite the flame within your heart so that you worship God afresh. And share those moments with others, especially those in your church family. Your personal experiences of God at, w- at work in your life can be such a blessing to others if you share them. But he also says something in verse 18. I'm not sure if you noticed it. He says this, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. We can't expect God to listen to our prayers and respond to our needs and move in our life if we're cherishing sin in our hearts. Despite trusting in Jesus, if you've done that, we, we, we all still have sin in our hearts and lives, don't we? And we won't be rid of sin until one day we, we see Jesus face to face. John says, when we see him, we shall be like him, which means we'll be as perfect as Jesus. And that's a, a great hope for us to, to persevere towards. But there's a difference between struggling with various sins, which we all do, whilst trying to Uh, sort of live the best life we can and please God with our life. There's a difference between struggling with sins and cherishing sin in our hearts. Cherishing sin in our hearts is when we refuse to give up on a particular sin or, or, or a sinful behavior. Cherishing sin is when we refuse to get rid of it because we just enjoy it too much. And we, we instead of getting rid of it, we, we feed it. We often hide it away and we feed it and it controls us and it can be Become more important than Jesus is to us. Otherwise, we'd take action, wouldn't we? And we'd get rid of it. We'd clean our hearts. And when we live and behave like that, we can't expect God to listen to our prayers and, and, and bless us. Of course, He still hears us. But if we're cherishing sin in our hearts, then we can't expect God to respond, can we? In fact, God may deliberately then allow us to go through difficult times, the kind of difficult times that He was referring to in this psalm, in order to, de- to, to get us to face up with the sin in our hearts. If we're cherishing sin, God will sometimes allow those tough times, the, the times of discipline, to, in or- to, to enable us to put a mirror up in front of our face so that we will actually confront that sin that we're cherishing. Can I challenge you this morning? If you're hiding a particular sin away in your heart, if you're cherishing it, then you need to put that situation right. Repent of that sin, whatever it is. Big or small, whatever that is this morning, don't, don't leave this morning without putting that right with God, knowing that we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus, who's already dealt with that sin and come once again and just receive that cleansing and cleaning and refreshing and renewal of God's Spirit. Get rid of anything and everything that is in the way of you, of, of me, of us living the life that God wants us to live so that we can worship Him, not just for a few songs on a Sunday morning, but with our whole life. Because the knowledge of who God is and all that He's done for us should motivate us to want to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God. As we look back on all that God is, all that He's done for us, that should spur us on. So we don't live good lives to try and earn God's favor. It's because we've already received His favor that we want to live lives that, that, that bring Him glory and honor. This morning, if you've trusted in Jesus, then God has done amazing things for you. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus, He wants to do amazing things for you. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to bring you into a relationship with Himself. And I'm sure that for, 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 for many of us who've done that, as we look back over our lives, that like the writer of this psalm, we can also think of so many other ways that God has blessed us with, with, with so many other good things, relationships, relationships, um, 
possessions, experiences, all, all kinds of things that God has blessed us with. And as you think about all that, maybe, maybe, just maybe, you might want to be a bit more expressive in your worship as you show God that you really mean it. And maybe, just maybe, you might want to get excited and shout and sing and maybe even dance and celebrate the amazing goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, when we think of who you are, of all that you are, of all that you've done, we stand in awe. We are amazed. We are humbled. We are just standing in awe of, of your greatness and your goodness. We want to worship you this morning. That such a great God who spoke the world into being, the God who created us in your image, the God who parted the Red Sea, the, the, the God who led the people of Israel, the God who came in flesh and, and died on the cross, who rose again. Lord, when we think of all that you've done, we want to worship you. We think of the fact that this is who you are, and yet we can enter into a, the deepest and closest of relationships with you. We want to just praise you. We want to worship you. Forgive us, Father, when we don't do that more. Forgive us when we hold back, when we hold ourselves back from you, when we don't abandon ourselves to your praise. Forgive us, Father, when we would rather be doing other things. Forgive us, Father, when we worship other things. We want to worship you. We want to praise you this morning for your goodness, for your greatness, for your love. We worship you together, and we just want to give you thanks for this morning, for this time, this opportunity to, to be together, to worship you. So, Lord, lead our hearts, we pray. Move our hearts, we pray, that we would not just in a few songs on a Sunday, but live lives that are acts of worship to you, that our whole, our whole lives, Father, would be lives that point to you, that glorify you, that bring you pleasure. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.